I want to start with a question this morning. So put yourself into this place. You've just arrived at the grocery store, you've parked your car, you've gone into that first door and you've got your cart and you walked through the sliding glass doors. Any grocery store, whatever grocery store it is that you go to, what is the first thing that you encounter when you walk into the grocery store? Go. What is it? Bill said groceries. So I would certainly like to thank you for that answer. But you've already got your cart. You're in the door. What's the first thing you see? Potatoes, or that broader category we'll call fresh produce, right? Every grocery store you go into, the first thing you see is going to be fresh produce. Do you know why the first thing you see is going to be fresh produce? They want you to make your healthy choices first, so that way when you get a little later into your shopping trip, you feel less guilty about buying this. (laughs) So you have this internal dialogue that says, you know, I did buy a bag of mixed greens, it's probably okay if I buy three tubs of ice cream. You know, I, I did buy some grapes, so it's probably okay if I get a pecan pie. Okay? They want you to make your healthy choices first, so that way you feel less guilty about making unhealthy choices later. I don't know if you knew that about the grocery store. They are laid out very strategically. In fact, this is just for free. This doesn't have anything to do with our sermon. But if you want to have an effective trip to the grocery store, experts say that your best bet to have uh, a healthy and effective trip to the grocery store is to just stay on the outside. Just stay on the outside. You'll get produce. You'll get vegetables and uh, meats. Just stay on the outside. Just stay on the outside. Don't go down any of the aisles. Just stay on the outside. Anyway, that's for free. Um, you can take that home, shop however you want. I don't know how that affects your couponing or whatever you do there, but um, here's another one for you. You get to the checkout line. Um, you're waiting in line uh, behind the person in front of you. You've got all of your groceries on the little conveyor belt system, and um, you've, you've done really everything you can do in line. You've looked at the magazines. You know what celebrity just got married to who. You know which royal family member has been seen walking around London recently. So that's on the left side. And then you turn to the right. What do you see? Candy. That's brutal, isn't it? I mean, that is just, of all the terrible ways to end your shopping trip, you know why they do this? Because experts have determined that no matter how strategic of a shopper you are, when you put your groceries on that conveyor belt, you are done. Your strategizing is over. Your budgeting is over. You can be an absolute hawk in the grocery store. But once you get those groceries on the belt, you are done and you are susceptible. Right? So you've bought artichoke hearts. You've bought asparagus. You've bought mixed greens that you vowed you're going to use this time. Everything's good. And then you get it all on the conveyor belt and bam, Milky Way. It's strategic. They know that you are relaxed. And I don't know, I don't know how your trips go to the grocery store, uh, but here's how it works for me. I just avoid the candy aisle. I just have to. I don't know, maybe you have enough self-control where you can say, I don't need a 14 bag of peanut butter M&M's. 
Okay, turns out I don't have that level of self-control. So I just have to avoid the candy aisle. Okay, but here's the reality. You can avoid the candy aisle, but you can't avoid the candy. Eventually, you're going to be forced to make a decision. You're going to be forced to make a decision, and wisdom's the same way. No matter how well prepared you are, no matter how on guard you are, you're always going to have some time in your life when you're forced to make a decision. And if you're always on guard, there is going to be some time in your life when your guard is down. There's going to be some time in your life when you've got the groceries on the conveyor belt and you're just relaxing. And then you're going to have to make a choice between wisdom and folly. And we want you to be able to make that choice and choose wisdom. We're in a sermon series called Five Easy Ways to Wreck Your Life. And this is the fourth week. Today's lesson is really simple. In fact, you may think it is overly simple. An easy way to wreck your life is to reject wisdom. An easy way to reject or to, to wreck your life is to reject wisdom. And all of God's people said, no, duh, let's go to lunch. But let me tell you what Solomon had to say on this subject. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we'll start in verse 13. He says, here is another bit of wisdom that has impressed me as I've watched the way our world works. There was a small town with only a few people and a great king came with his army and he besieged it. Well, there was a poor wise man and he knew how to save the town and so it was rescued. But afterward, no one thought to thank him. So even though wisdom is knowing that you should already have your page ready to turn. There we go. So even though wisdom is better than strength, those who are wise will be despised if they are poor. What they say will not be appreciated for long. Better to hear the quiet words of a wise person than the shouts of a foolish king. Better to have wisdom than weapons of war. But one sinner can destroy much that is good. All right, so first of all, let's note what's going on here. We're reading a parable. We're reading a parable. Now, we usually associate parables with Jesus, and rightly so, right? Uh, Jesus is uh, the undisputed champion of the world when it comes to parables. Uh, But understand that a parable is just a communication tool, and many people have used them effectively over the years. I'd argue that nobody uses them as effectively as Jesus, but they are used effectively by other people. And in this case, Solomon tells a parable that leads us to an important point. And I want to make sure that you get this. Wisdom isn't glamorous. Wisdom isn't glamorous. Now, you may dispute this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address those disputes that you have here in a little bit. But wisdom isn't glamorous. Why do people reject wisdom? Because it isn't glamorous. This parable focuses on the contrast between two men. There's a powerful king. There's a powerful king and a poor wise man. And the powerful king brings his army and he besieges the small town. And the language of the text is designed so that we think that this isn't even that uncommon. This wise king would besiege towns on a regular basis and we're left to wonder how many towns he's conquered over the course of his lifetime. This is as simple for him as it would be for us to go to the store and get a gallon of milk. This is what kings do. They besiege towns and they enslave the people. And this was just a normal part of this king's life. 
it's easy for us to wonder how many other lands this powerful king has conquered. And then there's the poor wise man that lives in the town. It's a small town. Only a few people live there. And even if this poor wise man is the mayor of this town, he is still several notches below in the social hierarchy than this wise or this powerful king. Even if he's the mayor, he's several notches below. But he's not. He's just a guy who lives in the town, and the people who live in that town don't even particularly like him. He's just a, a poor guy who happens to be pretty wise. People pretend he doesn't even exist. And I wonder if we did street interviews, you know, like, like Jay Leno used to do, jaywalking. If we did street interviews with people where we read this parable and we said, you have to choose to be one or the other. Would you like to be this wise man or would you like to be the powerful king? I wonder how many people would choose the poor wise man. I mean, the text obviously seems to indicate that choosing to be the poor wise man is the better option, but how many people, if we read them this parable, would say, I'd rather be the powerful king? Solomon tells us the answer. He goes on in the text, he says, even though wisdom is better than strength, those who are wise will be despised if they're poor. What they say won't be appreciated for long. It doesn't matter that this Man saved the town. It doesn't matter that his wisdom could obviously be an asset to the community. People don't want him, and people don't want to be like him. Why? His wisdom isn't glamorous. It's not easy to appreciate the benefits of wisdom because they don't appear immediately. We understand the benefits of wealth, right? I can, I can pay my bills. I can buy a new car. I can build a house. We understand the benefits of wealth. We understand the benefits of power. We understand the benefits of fame. But what about wisdom? We go, I can be what? I can be a poor, lonely guy who's only appreciated when things go bad and then only for a moment? After that, go off, be by yourself, and leave normal life to us regular people? Now, we know that that's not the sum total of wisdom. I know that. You know that. But I want you to think about how we see wisdom portrayed. Think about how we see wisdom portrayed. Think about characters who are wise in movies. I'm going to start with a children's movie. How many of you have ever seen the movie The Lion King? Anybody in here ever seen The Lion King? You know who the wise character in that movie is? Rafiki. He's a baboon. It's hard to pick a weirder animal than a baboon. Okay? He's the wise character. And he's eccentric and he's goofy and he does all these different things and he paints on his face and he's just weird. But he's the wise character in that movie. How about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Anybody know who the wise character is in that movie? Splinter. First of all, he's a rat. Okay? Second, he lives in a sewer and he wears ratty clothes and he's eccentric. This is how we portray wisdom. You want me to give you another example? How about the karate kid? Mr. Miyagi, eccentric, lives alone, kind of weird, off-the-wall methods. Maybe the best example of this of all, Star Wars. You know the wise character is in that movie? 
Yoda, he lives on an abandoned planet all by himself, and he's weird. This is how we portray wise characters in movies. This is how we portray wisdom. So when we're presented with the choice between the wise man and the powerful man, many of us go, hey, I'll let somebody else choose wisdom. I want the power. Somebody else can be Yoda. I want to be king. Wisdom isn't glamorous. Wisdom isn't glamorous. It's like going to the grocery store and choosing broccoli over cookie dough ice cream. Maybe it's a good idea, but none of us want to make that choice. Wisdom isn't glamorous. But over and over again, the Bible points out the fact that wisdom is worth it. Solomon says it's better to hear the quiet words of a wise person than the shouts of a foolish king. Better to have wisdom than even weapons of war. Solomon says it's better to be wise than it is to be rich or powerful. Because what good is it if you gain the whole world and you forfeit your soul? What good is it if you gain the whole world and you forfeit your soul? I think that was Jesus that said that, and it's a valid question. Um, But I want to challenge the way that you think about that question, because I had to have the way that I think about that question challenged. Uh, If you're anything like me, when you hear those words, what good is it to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? Uh, I I think about terrible, terrible injustices or gruesome crimes, right? It's easy to say, what good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul and, and apply that to Ted Bundy? Right? He was a terrible mass murderer. Or it's easy to apply what good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul to Bernie Madoff who cheated innocent people out of billions of dollars. But that's not the only way to lose your soul. Dave Bland is a scholar on the book of Ecclesiastes and here's what he has to say. He says, by nature, humans tend to follow folly's path of least resistance. Folly's path of least resistance. I don't think anybody in here is going to commit an unspeakable crime. But simply going with the flow can be just as dangerous for your soul. It's so easy to let our opinions and our priorities be shaped by what we see and hear. But wisdom calls us to consider God's priorities first. And that's not glamorous. I'm just being honest with you. It's not glamorous. It's not glamorous to say, I'm going to help the poor instead of myself. Right? It's easier to say, I'm going to help myself and not the poor. It's easier to be served than to serve. It's easier to consider ourselves more important than somebody else. It's not glamorous to help the poor. But the Bible says take care of the poor and the widows and the orphans. And then if we look in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus gets quite a bit more specific with those who we are to help. It's not glamorous to serve others, but Jesus says even I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And it's not glamorous to think about others being more important than us. But if we follow Jesus' example, That's exactly what we'll do. It's easier to be one of the townspeople who who ignore the poor wise man than it is to be the poor wise man. 
Now, I know some of you are going, well, wait a minute, Tony. I, I know plenty of really wise people who aren't poor. In fact, some of them, they're, they're pretty well off and pretty well liked. That's not the point. The point is that wisdom isn't a cultural value. I'm not saying to be wise you have to be poor, but I am saying that wisdom isn't a cultural value. So if we take our cues from culture, wisdom isn't going to be worth the effort. Some of you are still objecting. You're going, well, wait a minute, Tony. Wisdom is a cultural value. I know that in many of your homes it is, and I thank you for that. I thank you for the way that you lead your families and raise your children and, and set the example for your grandchildren. I know that in many of your homes, wisdom is a cultural value. But if we look at culture, if we look at what people spend money on and what people spend time on, wisdom isn't a value. It's a cultural curiosity. Culture enjoys the movie with the wise character, but there's no aspiration to actually be wise. There's a reason why all of our movie depictions of wise people are just a little mystical. Right? There's just this, this, this air of mystery about all of our wise characters. Right? Rafiki or Splinter or Mr. Miyagi or even Yoda. They're just a little bit mystical. Because the way that culture thinks about wisdom is mystically. We think wisdom is for the weird Yoda hermit person. It's not. Wisdom is for everyone who follows Jesus. It's for you, it's for me, it's for your grandparents, for your grandkids, it's for the nursery workers, for the worship leaders, and everybody in this room who has worshipped God this morning. So let me demystify this idea of wisdom for us. Job says this. This is what he says to all humanity. The fear of the Lord is true wisdom. To forsake evil is real understanding. So what is wisdom? It's to fear the Lord. To wonder what God might think of some decision or action you might take. To fear the Lord. To consider God first. I'm going to give you an example of this, and I'm just going to be transparent with you. This makes me feel a little bit silly, um, so you're just going to have to show me some grace, but this is, this is an experience from my life. Uh, last October, I went to a minister's retreat that Bob Russell hosts, and uh, he brings in ministers from all over the country and uh, just, just has a retreat, and he teaches all of us about ministry and uh, from his success and from his failure in ministry. And you just spend uh, three days with Bob Russell and Ben Merrill and, and Phil LeMaster, and uh, you just spend a lot of time with him. You, you spend time learning. You spend time uh, going out to meals and going on tours, and, and, and just uh, it, it's, it's a really interesting time, but... What I found myself doing over the course of this three days, and again, I, I, I'm just going to have to ask you to, to bear with me about this because I still feel silly about it. I found myself going, I wonder what Bob would think of that. I wonder what Bob thinks of the answer that I just gave to this question. I wonder, I wonder if I articulated it clearly enough. Did I make sense? Was I wrong? And I noticed later in the day that attitude uh, went further. We'd be out at a restaurant. I wonder if Bob thought that I was being nice enough to that waiter or waitress. I wonder if the questions that I asked on this tour were stupid or if they were good questions. And does, does Bob think I'm being um, respectful enough? And, and I found myself thinking about life through the lens of how Bob Russell would view me. 
And I'm sure he'd be embarrassed to know that he got in my head that way, and, and honestly, I still am. But, and that's not a way that we want to think about our life in regard to anybody else, but it's not a bad way to think about life when it comes to God. It's not a bad way to think about life when it comes to God at all. I wonder what God thinks about this decision that I made at work. And what God thinks about how I treated that waiter or waitress last night. I wonder what God thinks about how I love and serve my wife. I wonder what God thinks. And I hope he's pleased with how I've acted. I wonder what God thinks. See, this is a good thing because when we wonder what someone thinks, we're aware of them. And when we're aware of them, we try our best to act wisely. You know when we act unwisely? And we think nobody's watching. We act unwisely when we think nobody's watching. You know when we act most wisely? When we know the person we care about most is watching. And let me tell you, God is watching. Proverbs says it this way, The Lord is watching everywhere. He keeps his eye on both the evil and the good. We act unwisely when we think nobody's watching. We act most wisely when we know that the person we care about most is watching. Proverbs tells us that God is watching. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I'm not talking about fear like we fear spiders or snakes or tight spaces or, or even the way the Israelites feared Goliath. I'm talking about respect and reverence and a desire to do what's right in God's eyes. So this idea of fearing the Lord, it's different than how we normally understand it. It's not, I'm terrified that God's going to strike me dead if I accidentally cuss. Instead, it's the God who created me and redeemed me, loves me, and I want to live my life in a way that honors Him. It's respect and a reverence that's born of love. That's the reality of fear for those of us who trust God. Now, the next sentence, I, uh, I tried to figure out um, the best way to say it. And so I sugarcoated it a couple of times, and I, I, I tried to, uh, to, to massage this next sentence into my message, and none of it felt right. And uh, so I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it straight up, straightforward. I'm not going to try to make it more palatable for anybody or apologize for this truth. Ready? So um, for someone who doesn't fear God, God will one day be terrifying. For someone who doesn't fear God, God will one day be terrifying. Terrifying. Let me show you how the book of Hebrews says this. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If we don't honor God now, if we don't submit to God now, we will one day realize that we were in error. That's not a popular message to preach. It's not, frankly, my favorite aspect of the Bible to preach, but it is truth. Plenty of people reject wisdom because it isn't glamorous. But they reject wisdom not considering that there is a holy and just God who will one day return to judge the living and the dead. And the only hope that we have on that day is Jesus. 
So the wise will choose Jesus as Lord and Savior now, living to serve him now for an eternal reward that will not perish, that will not slip away, that is intangible and imperishable. Plenty of people reject wisdom because it isn't glamorous. But can I tell you, that's short-term thinking. That's short-term thinking. The long-term benefit of wisdom is most evident when we fear God. I want to explain it. Uh, When we approach life with a mindset that says, I wonder what God thinks, then we understand. We understand that there's a God who's more important than what our friends might think. So your friends might think you're a little lame because you don't do all of the things that they do. Your friends might think that you're a little weird because you go to church on Sundays. Mm, That's different, right? Some of your friends might even be frustrated with you because of your faith and your character and your morality. But we know that there is a God who is more important than what they think. There's a God who's more important than what your coworkers might think. And they might want you to lie on this report so they can get a little bit of extra overtime. And they might want you to clock out a little bit earlier, say that you worked a little bit more on this project so everybody looks better, or any number of things. But we know that there is a God who is more important than what our coworkers think. There is a God who is more important than what our boss thinks. And there's a God who is more important even than what our family thinks. We know that the long-term benefits of following God outweigh the temporary approval of men. Because here's the reality. When we live for man's approval, it's situational. Man's approval is situational. I will approve of you for what you've done for me in this moment. This thing that you did right now dictates whether or not I approve of you. But guess what? Tomorrow it all resets. It all resets. It's not, it's not what you did for me. It's what have you done for me lately. It's kind of like the poor wise man. Kind of like the poor wise man in the story, isn't it? He saved his entire town from war and, and slavery and death. That's Monday. And Monday, everybody's pleased with him, right? They probably went to the, uh, to the local merchandise shop and got some of those rubber wristbands, had the poor wise man's name on it, and they wore those little rubber wristbands around saying, oh, we're never going to forget this poor wise man. And then on Tuesday, they see him in the coffee shop and everybody pretends like he's not there. I didn't see you. It's not what have you done for me. Or it's not what have you done, it's what have you done for me lately. Man's approval is situational. But here's the thing about the wise man in that parable. He wasn't living for their approval anyway. The reason that he was wise is because his first priority was God. The poor wise man knew something different. He knew that the the approval of man is situational, but the approval of God is unconditional. You see the difference there? The approval of man is situational, but the approval of God is unconditional. This parable doesn't specifically tell us that, but Solomon's driving to a single point through this whole book. Remember, he does this social experiment on himself and and how and where he might find wisdom and satisfaction and fulfillment in his life. And at the end, he has the luxury of being able to look back and he sums up the whole book this way. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. The conclusion, when all has been heard is this, fear God, 
keep his commandments because this applies to every person. That's wisdom. I understand it's not glamorous. But the more we seek wisdom, the more we'll realize that just like the approval of man, the things that seem glamorous are painfully brief. I want to invite you today to choose wisdom. I want to invite you to choose wisdom because one day the God who created the earth will come back to judge the earth and the only thing that will help us in that day is whether or not we chose Jesus as Lord and Savior and there's wisdom in choosing Him. I want to invite you to choose wisdom today. Choose to trust and obey God now. It's not always glamorous. It really isn't. But what you'll find is that it's worth it. It's worth it to serve a God who loves you. It's worth it to live above the distractions. And it's worth it to know that you are secure in God's grace. I know that a lot of this may not make sense to some of you still, that you're still here like, man, this is my first time at church. I I feel like I'm kind of getting this, but I'm still not 100% there. I know that for some of you that may be the case, and I'd love to, to sit down and talk with you. I'd be happy to sit down and talk with you on whatever we need to, but what you need to know right now is that it's worth it to put your trust in God. So if you need to do that today, I want to invite you to come forward as we stand and sing here in a minute. But right now, uh, what I want to do is pray together. So would you pray with me? God, we come before you, and I know that sometimes I think I'm wise. Sometimes I think I've got it all together and that you're just my helper. I pray that you'll forgive me for that attitude, God. I pray that you will help me to feel comfortable as a poor wise man who just needs Jesus. And God, for my friends, would you help them to feel comfortable as a poor wise man and a poor wise woman that just needs Jesus. God, for the person in this room that needs Jesus and is just now realizing that, I pray that you would help them come to grips with that. For your namesake and for the glory of your kingdom, we pray. Amen.